Leviticus 11 through 15 and 17 through 20 uh, deal with ritual and moral purity. It deals with issues that are of clean and unclean. Now, a lot of us uh, are familiar, even for Christians that aren't so familiar with Leviticus, they recognize issues of clean and unclean from the New Testament. Uh, you know, Jesus was not afraid to go up and touch and heal lepers who were ceremonially unclean. Um, then there's uh, obviously Peter and the Gentiles who Jews viewed as unclean. So even without a working knowledge of Leviticus, if you just kind of know parts of the Gospels in the New Testament, we're familiar with at least the terms clean and unclean. Uh, so today we're going to learn about those terms clean and unclean, which comes from Leviticus 11 through 15 and 17 through 20. Uh, you see on the first page there we have our outline. Uh, in chapter 11, it deals with animals for food, animals for food. And uh, then chapter 12, we'll just kind of outline this and then we'll get in deeper. 11 deals with animals for food. Chapter 12 deals with childbirth. Uh, chapter 13 deals with skin diseases. Uh, chapter 14 deals with uh, the, cl uh, the cleansing from skin diseases. Uh, chapter 15 deals with bodily discharges. I, you know, it was during chapter 13, 14, and 15, I was really like, okay, yes, <laughs> okay. Especially chapter 15. Chapter 15, you know, this is uh, the Old Testament for grown-ups. Chapter 15 is a, is a grown-up chapter. Um, and then you go down to chapter 17. Chapter 16 deals with the Day of Atonement. We'll talk about that next week. Chapter 17 uh, deals with moral issues, but yet moral issues still in the context of clean and unclean. Uh, so chapter 17 deals with eating uh, meat and blood, and drinking that. Um, chapter 18 deals with illicit sexual unions. Uh, chapter 19 deals with a whole list of ceremonial and ethical laws, maybe kind of a summary of some things that we've talked about, but with some additions in there as well. And then chapter 20 deals with the punishments, basically going back to chapter 18. Uh, what happens when uh, people give in to the illicit sexual unions and some of the other um, issues that are mentioned in chapter 17 and 18. So these two divisions... Uh, ritual impurity and purity, and then moral purity and purity are what we're talking about today. So let's talk about kind of the meanings of clean and unclean. Uh, chapters 11 through 15, this is on the back of page 1. Chapters 11 through 15 are laws concerning the distinction between what is clean and what is unclean. They deal with practical, everyday issues in ancient life. We just outlined some of those foods, childbirth, skin and fungus diseases, bodily discharges, uh, impurity and uncleanness, especially looking at the first half, the ritual purity, um, is not in itself sinful. You know, if you, uh, you know, had a skin disease, that was, didn't necessarily mean you were sinful, it just meant you were unclean and you had to take some time you had to take the precautions. You had to go through the process of getting clean again. But as long as you were unclean, you could not participate in the worship of the community. 
You cannot come into the tabernacle. You cannot come and bring sacrifices. You had to stay away. Um, so that deals, again, mostly with the you know, coming into contact with bodily fluids, you know, touching dead things, skin diseases, things of that nature. You were unclean, not necessarily sinful, but you just had to go through a purification process in order to come back into the life of the worshiping community. So it's not in itself a sinful state, but it renders a person unfit to approach the altar. A purity is of great concern for priests. Moreover, the people as a whole are expected to aspire to purity. We looked at that last week. There's a level of purity for the people. Then there's a level of purity for the priests. Then there's a greater level of purity for the high priest. Um, some defilement is unavoidable, but it can be removed by ritual action. Uh, and, you know, and some of these laws have, as we said here, baffled interpreters uh, for many years. Why exactly are these laws, some of these laws the way that they are? Um, and there's been several reasons given for some of those things. There are four that I've listed here at the bottom of why certain foods or physical activities cause uncleanness. And these are some of the explanations people have been given. Some are better than others. The first one, a lot of people just said, well, this is God's law. God gave it to them, so there's no reason to question it. This is what God said. It was a test of Israel's obedience to God. So number one, the division in the clean and unclean was arbitrary, given to Israelites to test their obedience to God. Um, you know, there could be truth in the matter that this is given for their obedience, but I don't think they are arbitrary or I don't think they're just, you know, no purpose to them at all. I think there are purposes uh, to them. So number two sees another purpose as some of the foods and some of the animals were unclean because of hygienic reasons. Uh, they carried certain diseases, some of them. Uh, in ancient times, there's no refrigeration uh, in a hot climate. So meat pose a serious threat to public health. So health and hygienic issues could be the reason for some of these uh, laws. Number three, there may have been theological reasons to ban certain foods. Maybe some of these foods were too closely associated with pagan worship practices. Others were prohibited because of the idea that blood and life are synonymous. So you were not to partake in blood uh, because that was symbolic of, of life. So there's theological reasons behind it. Number four, cleanness is a matter of wholeness or normality. Uh, according to Mary Douglas, who uh, does anthropology, uh, the animals, birds, and fish that are clean are those that conform wholly to the class to which they belong. Uh, those unclean are those that lack the normal characteristics. So there are some things that are normal. If they have deformities, then they were seen as not normal. Remember last week or last time we were together, the priest couldn't have deformities, couldn't have one leg or one limb longer than the other. Uh, so those go outside of the realm of what is normal. Uh, so therefore, you know, was seen as unclean. So there are many distinctions and reasons, you know, why people have speculated some of these laws are given and some others. Um, we're not told explicitly uh, all of the reasons why. Um, but we'll look at some of the major ones in just a moment. Uh, so on page number two, as we get into the chapters themselves, let's, let's kind of break down each chapter itself. First of all, beginning with chapter 11 in Leviticus. And chapter 11 deals with the clean and the unclean animals. And there are a lot of guidelines to go by to tell what animals are clean and what animals are unclean. 
First of all, there are four categories. There are animals that come uh, that are on the land, land animals. There are those animals that are in the waters. These would be fish, etc. Uh, then there are birds, those of the air. And then there are insects. So if you're looking for some insects to eat, this will tell you what kind of insects you can go out and eat. Uh, so these are the four categories, the land, the waters, the air, and the insects. Uh, the most famous purity law set up categories in the animal realm. These laws are central to a kosher practice. So there were certain things Jews did not eat, the biggest one being you know, pork uh, or from a pig. Uh, and Orthodox Jews continue to keep these as they avoid not only eating, but even touching non-kosher meats. And the clean animals included whatsoever part of the hoof, cloven-footed, chewing the cud, that should be cud, you had to do that, that which had fins and scales in the waters, every flying, creeping thing that goes on about all fours, uh, which have legs above their feet to leap upon the earth, locusts, bald locusts, beetles, uh, and grasshoppers. Unclean animals, uh, camels, hares, swine, uh, those that did not have scales and fins in the waters, uh, the eagle, osprey, vulture, kite, raven, owl, nighthawk, etc. All the fowls that creep, every beast which divides the hoof and is not cloven-footed and does not chew the cud, uh, whatsoever goes upon its paws among the beasts, the weasel, mouse, tortoise, ferret, chameleon, lizard, snail, mole, every creeping thing that creeps. I don't know about you, but there's not a lot on that list that I would eat. Anyway, um, just, just give me some chicken and uh, <laughs> can't even get chicken nowadays. Um, so, talking about the clean and unclean animals, I'll give you a couple of handy-dandy charts. Uh, so, if you want to go over to the next page, um, you know, if you worked in business or come up with a business plan or a business plan, you might be familiar with flow charts. Familiar with flow charts. Well, I've given you a couple of flow charts, uh, one that deals with the animals, one that deals with the skin diseases. So, uh, so on the page that has all the, all the shapes on it, uh, first of all, you can tell the animals of the air. Uh, first of all, is it an eagle, vulture, buzzard, kite, falcon, raven, ostrich, owl, seagull, hawk, uh, stork, heron? Uh, if it's yes, if it's any of those, then it's unclean. You're not to eat it. If it's not one of those and it's of the air, then it's clean to eat. Uh, then you have the insects. Does it, uh, does it have four walking legs? If it does not have four walking legs, it is unclean. If it does have four walking legs, does it uh, have jointed jumping legs? If the answer is no, then it's unclean. If it has four walking legs and it has jointed jumping legs, then it is clean and you are free to eat the insects. Uh, number three, of the land. Uh, is the hoof split? If the answer is no, it is unclean. If the answer is yes, the next question is, does it chew the cud? If the answer is no, it does not chew the cud, it is unclean. If the answer is yes, then it is clean to eat. Then it's of the waters. Uh, does it have fins? If it does not have fins or scales, the answer is no, it is not clean. If it does have fins and it does have scales, then it is clean to eat. So there's a handy flow chart. And then on the back of that, we won't go through the back of that, but on the back of that is just another chart of the clean and unclean animals. I may have to get a magnifying glass to look at some of these words, but... Uh, that's just your clean versus unclean animals, insects, land animals, water animals, flying animals there as well. So chapter 11 sets out these restrictions on what animals are permitted to eat, what animals are not permitted to eat. 
When you go into Leviticus chapter 12, Leviticus chapter 12 discusses the impurity caused by childbirth. It deals specifically with issues of childbirth and also uh, menstruation. A woman who bears a male child is ceremonially unclean for seven days, uh, and her time of blood purification is 30 days. A male child must be circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, a woman is impure for double that length of time if she gives birth to a female. I uh, don't know why uh, she's un- impure for a double length of time for a female, but that's what Leviticus chapter 12 lays out. Uh, she must not touch anything holy or come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are completed. After childbirth, she must bring a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or turtle dove for a sin offering. Uh, And when her days of purification are completed, when she brings her offerings, uh, then she will be determined clean. Uh, When you go into chapters 13 and 14, this deals with clean and unclean regarding various skin diseases um, who were determined unclean because of various skin diseases. Normally, a priest examines someone who had recovered from a skin disease and if appeared healthy and whole, the priest pronounced him clean. Priests may be called upon or called on to pronounce whether the condition is clean or not, but they have no ability to cure the complaints. They couldn't cure the people themselves. All they could do was inspect the skin disease to see if the person had become clean or not. So they act more like health inspectors than doctors. Uh, the traditional translation, if you, you know, have some translations, they'll go into chapter 13. Um, as defining these skin diseases as leprosy. But a couple of things about defining it as leprosy is since leprosy had not arrived in this area in these times, um, it's not in the Middle East or Old Testament times, it's not spontaneously clear up as some of these conditions do. Some of these skin conditions, you wait a few days and they clear up on their own. Leprosy does not do that. Uh, that is why other modern translations you know, speak about skin diseases versus, you know, just leprosy in and of itself, like it would be defined in New Testament times. Uh, Although disease in question may just be eczema, in some cases it is treated very severely. Peeling raw skin is not perfect life, so it is understandable why it is regarded as unclean. So skin clean, skin condition, rashes, so forth and so on, not normal, unclean. So you had to go through that process. Uh, fungus rotting away a fabric or plaster mildew is suggestive of death and therefore counts as unclean. So chapter 13 gives you all the unclean. Now if you look on the very last page that we have here, we have another handy flow chart to determine your skin disease. So before there was web ND, there was Leviticus chapter 13. So this flow chart on the back is for these various skin diseases. Uh, and you see there are sores, uh, boils, burns, sores on the head or the chin, white spots, and baldness. Um, I, I love the baldness. Reddish white sore on the head. Uh, yes, if you have reddish white sores, then you are unclean. Not the person is just bald. <laughs> Clean. Uh, but yeah, so for the sores here, um, at the very big top, 
left-hand corner, is it more than skin deep with white hair? If the answer is yes, you are unclean. If it was no, you are seven days in isolation. And then after seven days, has the sore faded? If not, you go back in isolation. If the sore has faded, then you are clean. It was just a rash. If it spreads later, you go back to unclean. If not, then you are clean. Uh, with the boil, is it white swelling and reddish white spot? Is it more than skin deep with white hair? If the answer is yes, you are unclean. No, seven days isolation hasn't spread. Um, so, so forth and so on. Um, so this is your flow chart as far as, and, and reading through, I tell you, reading through chapter 13, that might be one of the toughest chapters just to read all the way through. It's, um, it's kind of tedious to read all the way through. So um, flow chart will help you if you want to skip over that one. So. <laughs> right. That is true. We all, we all know about being in isolation um, because of that. All right, then back on our uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14 describes those suffering from the skin diseases, how they were excluded from the community. Again, they could not participate in the worshiping life of the community. Uh, after they recovered, they had to go an elaborate ceremony that symbolically cleansed them and reintegrated them into the community. This was not a healing service led by a priest. Rather, if he was satisfied that the skin disease had cleared up, then he conducted these rites, which, like the ordination of priests, lasted a week. Um, again, I'm glad that I'm a pastor in New Testament times, so every time y'all come into church, I don't have to inspect uh, all your rashes and see, see how they're doing. Praise God for that. Um, these ceremonies, including letting a bird fly off, carrying the impurity away, offering several animal sacrifices, and smearing the blood of one of them on the cleansed person, only then was he restored to fullness of life in fellowship with all Israel. So chapters 13 and 14 deal with these skin diseases and then how uh, you become pure or clean after you have been unclean. Uh, chapter 15 um, deals with bodily discharges from sexual organs of men and women, which made them unclean. Uh, the underlying rationale seems to be that to lose a life liquid, such as blood, meant that the person who was suffering under the shadow meant that the person was suffering under the shadow of death, and therefore unfit to approach the God of life. Uh, we listed I listed in a in a little bit, but this is another one of those issues of clean and unclean that God was seen, that Yahweh was seen as a God of life, a life giver. Um, and anything that had to do with death would be against the character of Yahweh. So if you came in contact with a dead body, you were clean. If there was you know, blood uh, that had been shed that you come in contact with, and that was, again, blood dealt with the area of death and because God was a God of life then you were unclean if you would come in contact with any of these things so that's what that is saying there the person who suffered uh, these things was under the shadow of death and therefore unfit to approach the God of life through the process of the tabernacle only when these uh, only when these discharges cleared up and a small sacrifice had been offered could fellowship resume 
Even normal discharges led to uncleanness, but the effect of these discharges could be cleansed uh, by just washing and waiting. Their importance for Israel is underlying in verse 31, which says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die by defiling my tabernacle. So the undergirding is God is holy. He's the God of life. He is pure. So anything that is not holy and pure and clean cannot approach God's presence. That's why if you were unclean, you had to stay away. Uh, because, again, God is a God of purity and holiness and life. So that is your ritual sacrifices. Kind of flew through those, but, you know, it is what it is. Your, your animals for food, your skin diseases, bodily discharges, what is clean, what is unclean. If you become unclean through disease or discharges or coming in contact, what do you do to get clean that you may rejoin the worshiping community, approach God, and participate in worship. Then we travel on over to chapter 17. And chapter 17 still kind of deals with issues of clean and unclean, but they are more severe. These would be characterized as issues that become sinful. Uh, because some of these have to do with worshiping other gods or sacrificing to other gods, um, sexual impurity, um, some of the commandments, keeping the Sabbath day, um, honoring your parents, not murdering. Some of those are repeated in these chapters. So where the ceremonial or the ritual cleansings and pure and clean and unclean didn't necessarily make you a a sinner just made you unclean. These were more serious issues of uncleanness. They're so classified as unclean. Um, and most of them are unclean because they're practices of pagan nations. The practices of pagan nations. So in 17 through 20, are, this is what is the first part of what is known as the holiness code. Holiness. Due to the frequent reminders be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. The recurrence of the term holy in this section signifies its unifying principle. This term and its derivatives occur 85 times in the 11 chapters from 17 on through down. We're just looking at the first four. The unit prescribes the way of holiness for all Israelites. It deals with topics ranging from sexual purity to observance of sacred holidays, to fair treatment of the poor. Again, this appeal for holy living is based upon God's holy character. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And as I just mentioned, these chapters deal with moral concerns, murder, adultery, incest, or as religious concerns such as idolatry. So while they are moral concerns, they're also issues of uncleanness. Uh, these sorts of offenses constituted the very gravest causes of uncleanness. So if you were ritually unclean, if you would come in contact with a bodily fluid or if you, have a, if you had a rash, you waited a few days, you cleaned yourself, you washed, you went to the priest, he says you're clean, these, this uncleanness, a lot of them led to very severe punishments 
even death. The death penalty was for these. So even though it's unclean, it's a whole different level of uncleanness, which leads to the very uh, gravest causes of uncleanness and the greatest consequences of uncleanness. Uh, These do not simply pollute the offender and the sanctuary. They pollute the whole land so that the land will, quote, vomit them out. So what you'll notice is in these chapters, it's pointing toward when the people come into the land of Canaan. And we'll look at these in a moment, but God is in essence saying, I have driven out the inhabitants of the land because they do these things. And I'm going to put you into the land so that you will not do these things. And if you end up doing these things, then I will expel you from the land as well. So the issue of the land comes back in here on some of these issues as an underlying issue, taking our minds back to the fact that we're dealing with covenant. Remember, we're dealing with the Israelites who was promised, or Abraham who was promised a family, a nation, and a land. Uh, And we see how the family grew. We see how the nation was born and coming out of Egypt. And now they're going into the land. So a lot of these prohibitions were contingent upon if you stay in the land, if you continue in God's promises, if you continue to stay blessed. So if you wanted to stay in the land, if you wanted to be under the blessings of God, if you wanted to be a part of the covenant, then don't do these things that are listed here in chapters 17, um, 18, and 19, or you'll suffer the consequences in chapter 20. Um, If they pollute the land, the land will vomit them out, or God himself will cut off the sinner. That means the offender will die, a a death at the hands of, of Yahweh. And then the penalty could be people would be put to death. So the death penalty was enacted. If they were not put to death, God would intervene and cause punishment himself, or the people would ultimately be expelled from the land if this continued. Um, thus is, uh, there is thus a spectrum of uncleanness from the mildest, caused by natural conditions, which we saw in the previous section, uh, to these that end with such things such as uh, murder and idolatry and things of that nature. Uh, the connection between uncleanness dealt with in the first chapters we looked at uh, and the chapters here uh, is the association of uncleanness with death, with less than perfect life. So again, the themes that do cross are that both of them are associated with death. You know, coming in contact with blood or eating an animal that had its blood in it uh, was symbolic of death, so is shedding innocent blood or doing things of this nature. So again, it, it identifies God as life and God wants His people to have life and doing these things are the opposite of life. Um, thus, murder is an assault on life, which is given by God, therefore must be viewed as causing grave uncleanness. Similarly, idolatry, which substitutes another god for the god of life, also causes serious uncleanness. And then sex, the God-giving power to procreate and cause life, when misused becomes a source of grave pollution. So you can look at these things in terms of of life, how God defined uh, sexual relations as between a husband and a wife to have a family to procreate, undergirding that is life. Uh, murder is the taking of life, 
uh, which God gives life and God takes life. Uh, and then idolatry, which puts you in a God that cannot give life, puts you worshiping a God that cannot give life. You have forsaken the God of life. So again, all of these things have to do with this issue of life and death and clean and unclean and holiness. So in summary, the purity laws that, can, that are found here are founded upon three principles. Principle number one is Israel is to be holy for Yahweh is holy. That's, that's the number one undergirded principle in all of this is because God is holy, His people were to be holy. Because God is separate, His people or supposed to be separate. And that phrase is repeated over and over again in these chapters. Number two, Yahweh is a God of life and not of death. So if it's associated with life, or I mean, if it's associated with death or not associated with life or producing life, or then you are to, it is prohibited. And then number three, they are to be distinct. The Israelites are to be distinct from the Egyptians and the Canaanites who do not worship Yahweh. So it's God is holy, God's a God of life, and God's people are not supposed to be like the surrounding nations uh, because they are to show forth Yahweh's holiness by doing certain things, not doing certain things. Um, and that undergird. So these three principles undergird all of this. So with those principles in mind, let's look at these final four uh, chapters that we have here. In chapter 17... Uh, deals with irregular sacrifice and the consumption of blood. Uh, here, worship away from the tabernacle is banned, lest it becomes a cover for worshiping other gods. So, for example, Leviticus 17.3 says this, If any of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle, Blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. So if they're taking it upon themselves to, to kill, eat, offer an animal on their own, that was forbidden. Uh, so they were to bring the animal to the tabernacle uh, and have it presented in the proper way. Uh, the ban on eating meat whose blood has not been drained away is repeated. Uh, consuming blood shows flagrant disregard for life and so produces grave uncleanness. So... The place of sacrifice was important. Laws against eating and drinking, consuming blood is in chapter 17. Those are the two major issues there. In chapter 18, we have laws concerning unlawful sexual relations. Uh, this chapter is bookended by contrasting Egypt and the Canaanites. Um, so if you have a Bible open, just look with me real quick in Leviticus chapter 18. First, I want to look at verse number 3. Leviticus 18.3 says this, You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules Keep my statutes and walk in them. I am Yahweh your God. I am the Lord your God. So this is the first in, when you begin this chapter, you shall not do like they did in the land of Egypt, 
And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan. You shall not do as where you've been, and you shall not do as the people to where you are going in the land of Canaan. And then it goes on to give these laws about um, sexual relations. Then notice in verse 27. In fact, verse 26 says, But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you, or the people who were in the land before you, that's the Canaanites, did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out, when you make it unclean as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among the people. They shall be expelled from the people, not inheriting the promises. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you and never make yourselves unclean by them. I am Yahweh, your God. So we see the basis you know, for all the laws, but especially those here in chapter 18, start with you shall not do what Egypt did where you were. You shall not do what the Canaanites do where you're going. Um, in, fact, in fact, go back up. I started 20, go back up to 24. Look at that. I should have started in 24. Look at Leviticus 18:24. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land has become unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. So because of especially these these sexual issues that are discussed here in chapter 18, God says, this is why I judged them. This is why I drove out the Canaanites and the people in the land of Canaan. And that's why I'm giving this land to you because they defile the land by doing these things. So I'm going to put you there so that you will not do these and you'll keep the land clean. If you end up doing these things, not only will you be unclean, the land will be unclean and I will drive you out from the land as well. Well, spoiler alert, they ended up being <laughs> expelled from the land because of these things. So that's important to, that this chapter is bookended by, by these uh, statements about not the Egyptians and the Canaanites and the land and how the, the Israelites were to be distinct. So um, most attention in this chapter is devoted to incest. Uh, the first part dealing uh, from verses 6 down to about verse 18 deals with incest, having sexual relations with those in your own families, uh, sexual intercourse with people too closely related to each other. Um, and then going on, adultery, homosexual acts, bestiality is are condemned too. All these actions are seen as contrary to life as designed by the Creator and therefore cause uncleanness. So again, all of these sexual sins are listed uh, because that's what the Egyptians and the Canaanites did, and God wanted His people to be separate, uh, for they were, again, seen as unclean, but more grave than that, as sinful as well. So chapter 19, when you go to chapter 19, gives a whole list of a variety of moral laws. Uh, chapter 19 begins, again, with you shall be holy. Uh, it begins with revering your mother and father, keeping my Sabbaths, not turning from idols. Um, 
So these include honoring God and parents, taking care of the poor, not stealing and lying, not oppressing others, judging righteously among your neighbors, not mingling seed in the field. Uh, You weren't supposed to plant two types of seeds together. Uh, You weren't supposed to have two kinds of garments uh, or two fabrics of garments together. Um, I want to look at that one. Where is it at? Uh, 19. Look at Leviticus 19, 19. Because this is one of those things that people, you know, often talk about when they talk about the law, you know. If you were to point out, say, you know, you're not supposed to commit adultery because Leviticus 18 says not to commit adultery, then people say, yeah, well, it also says you're not supposed to wear mixed fabrics. Um, Look at verse 19. Verse 19 of Leviticus 19 says, You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor wear a garment of cloth made with two different kinds of material. Now I would ask the question, what have we just talked about in chapter 18? We book into chapter 18 with not being like the Canaanites, not being like the Egyptians, not mingling with these foreign nations that serve foreign gods. And so even in their own law, you know, Does God just get angry with people who wear two different kinds of fabric? Well, I hope not. I'm wearing two different kinds of fabric, you know, right now. Um, But again, it's everything is pointing to the issue of, this is pointing to not mingle your fabrics, not mingle your seeds, not mingle your cattle with different breeds, undergirding the fact that you're not supposed to mingle with the nations surrounding you. So even in these laws, it is preaching and teaching them the issue of holiness that God wants them to realize in being separate from these other nations. So again, there's a purpose behind all of that. So uh, garments, not having sexual relations with slaves, not eating blood or using enchantments, not cutting your hair or your beard like the other nations, not cutting or printing on your flesh for the dead like the other nations did, not prostituting your daughter like the other nations did, honoring the Sabbath, not regarding familiar spirits like other nations did, honoring the, the age, the, the older in the, the community, loving the strangers and sojourners in the land. So there's a whole heap and a list of um, you know, laws that are here. That's kind of undergirding and summarizing everything that we have talked about. Again, in the Underlying is the three things, God is holy, God's a God of life, not death, and you're not supposed to be like the other nations around you. You're supposed to be separate so that they can be a light to those nations. So that's your moral principles. So when you look at 17, 18, and 19, you find the moral uncleanness that you're supposed to stay away from. Chapters 11 through 15 deal with the ritual uncleanness. Then when you come to chapter 20, Uh, Chapter 20 deals with punishments. Specifically, there are punishments for child sacrifice, and there are punishments for the sexual immoral. Um, In chapter 20, verse number 2, it says, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones, I will set myself, I myself will set my face against the man um, and will cut him off among the people. Um, and then in 
Number six, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring with them, I will set my face against them, cut him off from the land. Um, anyone who curses his father and mother shall be put to death. Then chapter 10 deals with the punishments for sexual immorality. Um, you'll just see over and over again, put to death, put to death, put to de- death, burn with fire, put to death, kill the woman and the animal, cut off, bear his iniquity, uh, cut him off from the people, bear his own sin, they shall die childless. Uh, so you can read all the fun punishments that happen there in chapter 20. Um, a lot of these go back to the sins that are listed in chapter 18 that cause serious uncleanness, not just to individuals, but to the land as a whole. To avoid such a disaster, human punishments are laid down. So if people are doing these things, then capital punishment is to be uh, extracted to them. Uh, if they escape human punishment... Um, then they will not escape divine vengeance as well. So we can see how serious it is that God uh, has put this law in here um, to His people to guide them in their principles. You may say, well, that sounds well and good. You know, we shouldn't do a lot of those things. What's the problem? Well, here's the problem. Humans and even the Israelites had a sinful nature. And the law inflamed sin even more. The problem is they couldn't keep these things because the law made a demand. Think about all the demands that we've read in these chapters. Demand after demand after demand after demand. What the law did, and here I go and I told you I can't talk law without talking new covenant. The law made all these demands, but it never gave them the ability not to do these things. So it was by their own flesh and their own will that they were supposed to have the willpower not to do these things. The only problem is the flesh is weak. The law offers demands, demands, but does not supply you with the ability to not do these things. So everything that we just read in here, Israel ended up doing. And they ended up suffering the punishment. But what's the difference in the New Covenant? Are there no laws in the New Covenant to govern us? Well, the principle of the New Covenant is, it's not these laws that govern us. It's the laws of the Holy Spirit that's written on our hearts. So that it's not just about not doing these things. It's the Holy Spirit in us transforms us to give us a new spirit and a new heart. So number one, we don't have the desire to do these things. And the Spirit fills us that when we're walking in the Spirit, when our mind is set on the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit, we don't have to worry about doing these things because we will go in the way of righteousness because He has made us righteous. So the new covenant is not lawless. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus that made me free from the law of sin and death. So the Holy Spirit is to the new covenant what this law was to the old covenant. 
So we are still under a law, but it's the law of liberty. It's the law of life. It's the law of the Spirit. Well, it's not about, it's not about really what we, what we don't do. It's about what God wants us to do. It's about striving for His will in our life and focused on the things of the Spirit that lead us and guide us. So even for the Christian today, while technically, yes, none of us are nor have ever been under the laws in Leviticus, we still have the Spirit of God in us that is the law written on our heart that guides us into true righteousness. So when the law demanded but never supplied the ability, the Holy Spirit provides us the ability to do what the Israelites could never do under the law. So we're still called to be holy like God is, but our journey of holiness isn't trying to become holy. It's God has made us holy and given us the Spirit to empower us to walk holy. And also, you know, a lot of these things are internal. Some of the moral things are not, but like the uncleanness, um, you know, it was the outward that was seen as unholy. If you had a limb longer than the other, you were unclean. If you had a skin disease, you were, you were unclean. Uh, so a lot of the, the uncleanness was outwardly. But the inward is what Jesus came to deal with. So that's why Jesus would touch a leper, because it wasn't about the uncleanness on the outside, it was about the inside. So the Holy Spirit, what the New Covenant does, it cleanses us on the inside. That's why, the, that's why the Pharisees, they did outwardly everything that was right. But the inside was what was unclean to them. So you could keep this and have a clean outside, but have an unclean heart. Jeremiah said that about the people in that day that their heart was deceitful and desperately wicked. Well, in the new covenant, God gives us a new heart, a clean heart. He renews in us a right spirit. So while, you know, all this is about, you know, like, like the skin diseases and other things that are about cleaning and washing and being clean, the whole purpose of what Jesus came to do was He came to clean us from the inside because we understand that even through this, we can't clean ourselves. He cleans us on the inside. He says to His disciples, He said, you are clean by the Word that I've spoken to you. Tie that to this. Think about everything they had to do to be clean. They had to be separate. You know, they had to wash. They, they had to wait here. They had to go be inspected in order to become clean. Jesus said to his disciples, you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Jesus said, I've done what Leviticus was trying to get you to do. I have done for you. So he's made us clean uh, from the inside out. That's what's so glorious about the new covenant. While the old covenant had glory and Moses had glory, it does not compare at all with what Jesus has done for us. So again, we could still see this as, as striving, trying to become clean enough, trying to overcome the flesh, when in reality in the new covenant, it's submitting to what Jesus has already done. He cleans us. He purifies us. He's put in us a new spirit. He's put in us a new heart. He causes us to walk in the ways of life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will lead us away from the death that we find here and will bring us into an abundant life in him. That's the covenant that we have with Jesus. So, you know, while you're reading Leviticus, you're thinking, wow, this is a lot of stuff. You know, in the minds of a Christian, just 
Raise your hands and thank God. God, I'm glad that you have made me clean. You have cleansed me. You have cleansed me. And, uh, you know, it's, it's that vision with, with Peter as they still viewed others as unclean. God said, don't call unclean anymore what I have cleaned. What I call clean, don't call unclean anymore. So, yeah, anytime we start to think about, you know, ourselves as unclean or failing or unworthy or I'm not good enough to approach God, don't call unclean what Jesus has called clean, even if you're talking about yourself. You are clean by the word that he's spoken. You are clean. You've been washed by regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So that's why Leviticus is important, to establish that foundation. And then it's important to bring over what Jesus has done in his purifying and cleansing act. And what the Holy Spirit does is leads us in the life of life instead of a life of death, as we see so much in here. So that's the good news that we will end on uh, in this lesson.